Open your Bibles to Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17 this morning. Um, we are in our series. And that was fun. I almost want to sit down and just keep doing that, but I'm obligated because I only work today once a week, so I have to say something. Um, Here we go. Acts chapter 17, we are in our series, Church in Motion, Unstoppable. Um, And I'm so excited to talk about this one. This is really cool. Um, The message this morning is called The Search for Truth. Okay, it's called The Search for Truth. And I want to ask you a question just to ponder as we think about this for a few moments. What is truth and what is not truth? What is fake and what is real? What is genuine? What is disingenuous? Um, Authenticity and counterfeit. This is what our world deals with. And can I tell you, it goes all the way back to the creation, to the beginning. When Satan tempted, everything God God created is genuine and authentic. And everything Satan creates is a photocopy or a carbon, I'm sorry, a photocopy or a counterfeit of what God does. There's truth and then there's counterfeit. So this morning's message is called the search for truth. And if you could just hang with me for a few minutes here. Think about it. Where do you get truth from? What are some of the sources? Just think about it. You don't have to call them out or anything. But I want you to think about where truth comes from in your life. What are some of the sources that you get truth from? Maybe it's friends or family. Maybe it's news stations, right? To figure out now what's real news and fake news these days, right? Sometimes it's hard to tell the difference. And it seems to be getting harder and harder and harder to do this. I did a little research this week and I noticed that it shows up in different ways. Sometimes the truth or the fake news or the real news shows up um, in what we see. Okay. And I have a couple examples of that. And maybe, maybe you've seen this with the advent of like technology really like going crazy. Um, Photoshop has been like a huge opportunity for people to show things that never happened. You know what I'm talking about? So here's a couple of examples. Like for example, look at that cute little kitty right? Okay. That's a real picture. Don't laugh at him. He's a real picture. That's a real cat. Yeah, he's got a strange mustache, but I mean, he's okay. But when you add Photoshop to this, this is what you get. <laughs> you wouldn't know that that wasn't real unless you're really good at technology, but people post things and you go, okay, what's truth and what's not? Okay. Poor little kitty. Another picture. Let's look at this next one here. Okay. There's a bear in, uh, in Yellowstone National Park. Okay. And he is a uh, I don't know what he's doing. I guess he's running after the guy taking the picture or something. But he's going down, and someone decided to put themselves into the picture to show everyone just how brave they were. <laughs> right? If you just saw the right picture without actually talking about it, you could be tricked to think that it's, not, that it's, that it's real, right? Okay, last one. Oh, look at that good old cow. I love steak. Um, <laughs> that's a milk cow, though, so I'm just going to leave it at that. Um, that's definitely a milk cow looking at that picture. Um, but, um, yeah, that's the real picture, but let's look at the fake. (laughs) Sometimes what we see isn't necessarily what truth is anymore, right? And people are getting really good in this day and age of showing you something and wanting to believe it when it's not true at all. It's not just in what we see. It's also in what we say, um, Case in point, this past Friday evening, we had a leader's dinner, and it was a fun night where we had food here at the church, and we played games, and Pastor Matt did this whole Olympic theme for our leaders and our staff, and one of the games we had to do was invent a word for the country that we became a part of. We created a country name, and we had to do all this stuff, and and, and each team had to come up with a a word, 
And then we had to define the word and then use it in a sentence. And one of the teams, and I won't say which team it was, but I'm still having a problem with Pastor Rob at this point. But <laughs> the word that they came up with was Ikeum, okay? Ikeum, okay? There were like some, you know, Swiss company or Swiss country or something. And they said Ikeum was the word. And it meant this, to eat until you pass out, Okay. And then they used it in a sentence, and they said, after Pastor Paul preached for multiple hours on Sunday, I went home and I key him. <laughs> That's not true. They didn't go home and I key him. And I don't preach for multiple hours. And you know who you are who said that. God's going to judge you for it. Here's why I'm telling you this. Here's why I'm telling you this. People say things today, and if we don't question it, we can believe it is true. Some of you could walk out and go, that guy preaches for two hours? Someone's Pastor Rob said it. You know, Pastor Christine said it. Pastor Christine's husband, Glenn, he said it. Okay, just because someone says it doesn't believe it doesn't make it true, right? This is the world that we live in right now. What is the source of our truth? Where do we search for truth? This passage we're going to look at this morning is really awesome because, well, let me just say why. Here it is. God always reveals his truth to everyone who eagerly and actively search for it. This is truth, truth, truth. God actively, he always reveals his truth to everyone who eagerly and actively search for it. If you are looking for truth, and I don't just mean worldly truth, you know, is this really a bottle of water or not. I mean deep truths that go from the beginning of time, creation. Where are we from? Are we created in a God of, an image of God? Is there really a God? You're looking for the answers to these kinds of things. What is God's purpose and will for my life? You are always looking and you're actively pursuing these things. You will see that he reveals truth to those, to everyone who eagerly and actively search for it. We're going to look at a small passage. It's three verses this morning in Acts chapter 17 that show us why this is so significant. So I'm going to read Acts 17, verses 10 through 12, but I want to give a little bit of background before we do that. Um, We are in Paul's second missionary journey, okay? Paul's second missionary journey, Acts 17, starts in a town called Thessalonica, and Paul and, uh, and Silas are in the synagogue, and they're talking about Jesus as the Messiah. Some believe, others don't believe and get very upset. Things in Thessalonica got really, really bad, it says in Scripture, so that they actually took a man named Jason, who was actually welcoming Paul and Silas into his house, and they drugged Jason out to the authorities and the officials, and they were accusing him of doing all kinds of horrible things. Jason actually, Scripture said, had to go post bond to get himself out of jail and get back to prison before he could go home. And he was hosting Paul and Silas. So really great thing going on there. This picks up in verse 10 of Acts 17. Look what happens. Scripture says, As soon as it was night, the believers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. On arriving there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. Now the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica. For they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. As a result, many of them believed, as did also a number of prominent Greek women and many Greek men. So things got so bad in Thessalonica that they had to get Paul and Silas out of Thessalonica under the cover of night. Okay? 
I mean, have you guys seen a pattern here in these missionary journeys? You know, we live in this world where we think, well, we preach the gospel, everything's going to be great. Jesus said in the gospel of John, he said, they hated me and they're going to hate you too. It doesn't mean everyone's going to hate him, but it means this message is going to cause controversy in the world as you bring it to the world. And some will receive and others won't. So it got so bad under the cover of night, they left the city of Thessalonica and they traveled to Berea, which was about 45 miles west of this city by foot. And the Berean response to the message was very different. Remember, this is what it said. For they received the message. Look what it says. For they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. Remember what I said earlier. God always reveals his truth to everyone who eagerly and actively search for it. And that's the piece that we're going to look at today. Two things that the Bereans practiced in their search for truth. We're going to look at what eagerness looks like, and we're going to look at examining the scriptures every day looked like. The eagerly, the, the, the people that were eager to understand and those that actively search the scriptures. So those are the two things I'm going to look at briefly to say if we want to find truth in this world, are we eagerly pursuing and studying the scriptures to understand if what we're hearing actually is true? So let me first look at what it means to eagerly seek this. Um, When it says that they eagerly, with great eagerness, examine the scriptures, the word for eager or great eagerness that they're talking about actually means open-mindedness. They were open-minded with an eagerness and a readiness. If you will, it says the sense is like that they were willing to learn. They had a willingness to learn, and they were more open-minded than the people in Thessalonica. So if you're going to search for truth, and you're looking for truth. Eagerness is synonymous with open-mindedness. For us to hear God's truth and understand what God is trying to speak to us, we have to have an open mind. And the way that things get into our mind are through all of our senses, right? I mean, nothing gets into our mind. I mean, once it's in the mind, it can bounce around in there for decades like a racquetball court. But it's got to get in there somehow, and it gets in through our five senses. So we have to have open-mindedness in the way that we see things, hear things, taste, touch, all of the senses that we're talking about with our ears and our eyes, even openness in our time, the things that we give our time for. We need to be willing to contemplate, as someone wrote, without considering religious, political, or social prejudice or judgment. And that is a very difficult thing for us to do because we all walk through life with different levels of experience. Maybe some of you have grown up in Christianity and have had really bad experiences and have walked away from the church. And all you can see is the prejudice of hurt or judgment or things that people have done against you that are not right. And maybe you look at God through this lens of criticism or critique. And maybe you just you can't see it through a different lens because you have a prejudice You have a judgment and your mind is not open to anything else. All you see is the negative. All you see is the hurt. All you see is the pain. And you wipe your hands of it and say, I will not. I cannot. I had a conversation um, with someone uh, a year and a half ago, uh, someone that I live near. And they they tragically lost a son decades, uh, 12, almost 12 years ago. A 21-year-old son, he passed away. And the son died in his dad's arms. 
Um, he had a chronic illness, and it wasn't the illness that killed him. It was something else. But I remember he told me, it was right before the COVID situation hit, and he said, um, he goes, I know who you are, and I know what you do. And I was like, okay. And he said, um, I don't want to talk about anything God-related. And I said, okay. And he said, any God that would have let my 21-year-old son die in my arms is a God I never want to serve or know. Because his experience and his pain, valid pain, right? And we're talking the death of a child, valid pain, has closed off his ability to hear something that would allow him to experience truth. This is just one example of many different things. It's not just our pain. Maybe we have a bias or a judgment based on our political beliefs. Okay? Y'all have toes this morning, right? So... Cover them, because I'm going to step on them in a minute. Man, the last two years have been really, really, really uncomfortable and painful. And before that, when the whole election thing started, i tell you, you know what? Listen. <laughs> we have people that aren't at bridge today because I wouldn't endorse a candidate. Maybe I didn't talk enough about one party, or I didn't speak up enough against another party. And you know what I want to, I've told them when people have said that, I'm like, you know what you don't understand? You don't understand pastoral ministry if that's what you think my role is, to endorse a candidate. I'm not going to tell you that I don't lean one side towards the other. All you got to do is listen to me and get an idea of where I'm landing, okay? But here's what I know. I know that the people that we speak to across this body believe differently and have different convictions for different reasons. And I know that if you go down that road and you choose a side, because this is what you need to do, the gospel message becomes deaf. They become deaf to the gospel message. And if you say something that challenges someone's political belief on something, when it's unnecessary to challenge it, I'm not saying things shouldn't be called out. You know, I have no problem calling things out. And I don't have any problem talking about it. People get upset, upset about different things. I watched the State of the Union address the other night. You know, I watched it. And I tried to watch it the best I could. But I could tell you one thing. I'll tell you one thing in the midst of all that. The thing that grieved me the most was when I listened to the leader of our country say, we need to defend a woman's right to choose. And whether you agree with me or not on this, here's my point on this. The response of the leaders of our country was thunderous applause when what he was saying was, it's okay to make a decision to murder an unborn child. Listen, if your deal is not right to life, whatever. But if that doesn't disturb you, if that specific thing, well, what about this person? And what about the orphans? And what about, forget about all that. I'm not saying they don't matter. I'm just saying I can have a strong opinion on that and go, my heart was grieved to hear not just the statement and not because women's rights don't matter, but so do unborn children. And I'm listening to that and going, and we're not just saying, yes, we're standing and applauding and celebrating the murder of unborn children. I can speak openly and honestly about that. But if somebody has a different conviction about something because there's another issue that means so much to them and they think Jesus wants to talk about it, here's what I want to know. Are we willing to set aside some of our perspectives on some of these things to build unity? And do we stay focused on what matters so that we can continue to pursue truth? Because all this world is about doing is dividing and polarizing. And I have very, very good friends that are as conservative as you are going to get. And then I have some other friends that are not, and they fall on the other side of this. 
And you know what? I love them both. And they all try to wrestle with their understanding of what it means to be a follower of Christ and to know Jesus and to love Jesus. And, and people went to the polls and held their nose and they voted for the redheaded dude. And they, they held their nose as they voted for the old bald dude. And, 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 all, and whatever. I mean, however you want to look at it, people held their nose and some people held their nose and didn't vote at all. And that is not a measure for whether someone should be focusing on the gospel. That is not a measure for whether I should be in relationship with them. It doesn't matter if you're red or you're blue And I'm not saying these things don't matter big picture. I'm saying when this becomes the priority, our prejudices can close off our ability to hear truth. Because God's truth matters. And there are, I hate using the terms Republicans and Democrats and Libertarians, but I'm saying people of different affiliates and parties, there are people that don't come to bridge anymore because they're angry at people that voted for one of the candidates or one of the parties. They don't go to church anywhere. Do you know that? There are some people, and it's not just bridge. This happens. Like, go talk to pastor friends, and they'll tell you this is not a unique thing for Lansdale, Pennsylvania. There are people that are so disappointed and upset with what's happened during the last couple of years that they just are giving up on the evangelical church because of the way people speak about candidates and their supportive things on both sides of the spectrum. And can I tell you, if that becomes our highest position and priority, we are closing our ears to what God wants to teach us about truth. It's not just within the church. It's people that don't know Jesus. Are they open-minded to hearing the gospel? How many times have you ever heard people say, well, I want to share the gospel with you, or can I talk to you about Jesus, or I'm a Christian? And maybe their first response is, well, wait a minute. So if I don't believe what you're going to tell me, does that mean I'm going to hell? First thing that they say right after that, am I going to hell if I don't believe you? Close mind. Close mind. Why? Because they immediately want to camp on something that they're offended about. And to say the gospel is not about that. The gospel is about Jesus Christ coming in the flesh so that we could have eternal life, which by definition means to know the one who created us. It's about relationship. It's not about the consequence. But people get stuck on that and they're not open to even have the conversation. Or maybe they say, oh, Christians, well, what's your position on sexuality before we have any? Okay, you're missing the point. They're not open to hear the bigger picture. You're not open to have that bigger picture. And here's what I really believe in my heart. If we're open to have the bigger picture and to hear the bigger picture, we should be able to respectfully have conversations with people that we disagree with and still on the other side walk out as friends. But we don't live in a world that tells us that's possible anymore because people that disagree with you are the enemy. Do you hear what I'm saying? Like this is... This is like the world that we live in right now. If you disagree with someone, they're over there and you're over here. That is not the gospel. When you look at what the apostle Paul did, he reasoned the scriptures with people all through. And he debated and discussed people that had very different um, expressions and experiences. You know the beauty of that? Was that at the end, some of them chose to come to him, come to Christ, I mean. And others walked away, but there were relationships that were still maintained even when people didn't necessarily believe in that moment. Do we do that or do we allow our preferences and our beliefs that are not primary, they should be secondary or tertiary, to become the thing that drives who we are? What's your position on sexuality? What political party do you support? Or I like this one. I want to talk to you about my relationship with Christ. Wait, do you believe Jesus is really the only way to get to God? Or can some of these other religions be okay? See, we jump right into that world and we start talking about those things right away. And immediately what they're saying to us is, I am not open-minded to what you have to say. And therefore, my ears and my eyes and my mind are not going to follow and track with you because I'm not 
open-minded. The search for truth requires us to be eager. The search for truth requires people to pause and to listen more than they talk. To say, well, I may not agree with what you're getting ready to say, but I'm willing to hear you out. I love that. How many times have you been able to hear something from some, especially when you get angry about something, at least this is the way with guys, like all these connections in our brains, like when you get angry, like they all shut down. Like when you get upset about something and what that means, like you can't speak most of the time. Like I have a vocabulary of like 10 words when I get really upset because I can't, everything just shuts down. You know what I'm talking about? Some of you guys, some of your ladies are like, yeah, I know what you're talking about. And then you're nudging the person sitting next to you. When you're upset, when you're challenged, you're convicted about something, you can get so frustrated with things sometimes that you cannot think clearly. What would it be like in this world if we recognized the search for truth requires open-mindedness? So you can sit across the table from someone that you don't agree with or you're not sure if you agree with or you struggle with their life decisions or their sexual preferences or their political affiliations or whatever and you hear them out and you're willing to talk with them and at the end you can completely disagree with them and say, we can still be friends. Is that possible in this world? It should be. Is it possible in the church? It better be. Because if we're not doing it in the church, we are missing out because the Holy Spirit brings unity. And I can tell you something, unity is not uniformity because everyone in this building doesn't have the same opinion about everything. I can guarantee that, right? I can guarantee that. I mean, just look at Super Bowl Sundays. People come in with their different jerseys on. Vote for this team. The only thing that people were in agreement with is that Tom Brady wasn't winning this year. That's the only thing that people were really in agreement with. Other than that, they come in with different jerseys and they're celebrating this team and that team. And some of you are super impressed that I'm using a Super Bowl or a football illustration in a service when I don't even still understand how the game works. Is it making sense, I hope, about the eagerness? Are you open-minded? Take all the things that are important to you. Some of the things I mentioned, maybe other issues. Think about the war in Ukraine, what's going on right now with Russia. People have different opinions about some of this stuff. It can divide people, but does it divide people to the fact that we're not able to actually find truth? Maybe you're closed-minded about something because there's something you really want. And the only way you're willing to hear truth is if God's truth will affirm what you already believe. You know? Well, what does God's word say about divorce? That's a complicated answer. That is not cut and dry. Well, the church believes you cannot answer that in a few sentences, my friend. The Bible says you can't answer it in a couple of sentences. What does the Bible say about that? What does the Bible say about how to handle you know, sexual immorality? Well, this is what you do. It's not that cut and dry. Is there a clear answer? Yes. But the answer is usually a discussion, not just a box that you check. Does that make sense? There needs to be relationships so people don't understand or misunderstand what God's word really says. We don't live in discussion world anymore. We live in soundbite world. We live in the world of soundbites. That's why it doesn't matter what people believe about the president of the Ukraine right now. Everyone that's listening is going to remember that he said, I need ammunition, not a ride. How many of you are paying attention to that? I'm like, that's the coolest quote ever. Like, and I don't know the guy. I don't know anything about him, but it's a soundbite. 
And people take sound bites and they say, that's the truth. I don't know anything about his character, his personality, but we take sound bites and that becomes the truth. I just want to challenge you. Eagerness means being open-minded with everything you see, you hear, you taste, you touch, you feel. All these things, we have to be open. And are we willing to have the conversations with people that we do not agree with? Paul and Silas were in Berea going to the synagogues, having conversations, right, with Jewish believers about Jesus being the Messiah. That was very, very, very controversial. We know because in other cities he was drug out, he was stoned, he had to run for his life, but he still continued to do that. And the ones who were eager to understand truth heard him out because their minds were open. Are you open to truth, to understand truth? Or can you not get off what one person says or one person feels or thinks about something? Because I just can't, I just can't. They said that one thing or they believe, how could I possibly be? How could a Christian possibly blah, 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 blah. The last two years I've heard that so many times, I just want to get sick. How could a Christian possibly do? And I go, I'm not God, I'm not the Holy Spirit, but we have to love one another and we have to be willing to have open conversations in the midst of our differences and our disagreements but we have to be willing to go back to the scriptures to be able to wrestle with what we come up with. How do I know this? I know this because the scriptures teach us when we're eager and we're open-minded and we look to seek God with all of our heart, he responds. Jeremiah 29, 13 says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. You will seek me and you will find me. He's talking to Israel and that applies to all the people today. We're not the nation of Israel, but we are part of that nation of God. And he says, if you seek me, you will find me when your primary motivation and your foundation is to seek me with all of your heart. What does all of your heart mean? All of your senses, your time, your ears, your eyes, your talents, your thoughts. You hear what I'm saying? Like This is what it means, where you do not create obstacles that keep you from hearing what God is trying to say to you or where you're looking for God. I can't say I'm going to look for God in these areas, but this area is closed off because it might be that very area that he wants you to lay down so that he can reveal himself to you in that area. Does that make sense? You know, it's like years ago when I was a kid. Somebody laughed. That's not funny. God, I'll go wherever you want me to do. Go. I'll do whatever you want me to do. Please just don't make me a missionary to the pygmies in Africa. I'll do anything you want me to do, but don't make me do that. You know, we put qualifiers on wanting to experience God and know God. And the silly thing is people say, don't ever do that because if that's what you do, God's going to make you do it. I'm like, that's not biblical either. It's not biblical. You know, it's like you're saying the God is is a God that says like, I know I want to love you and serve you, but please don't make me do this really difficult thing. And God's like, ha ha, I'm going to make you do it now. Like God doesn't do that. That's not his character. It's not. But we need to remove the locks off every door in our home, figuratively speaking. We need to let every door of our heart be open so that God has permission to walk in every room and do whatever he needs to do and speak however he needs to speak. And when we seek him that way, we will find that he responds. Matthew 7, 7, Jesus said, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. It is a promise that we can bank on, that when we are looking for God, open-minded people will ask, they will seek, they will knock, and they will what? Find. 
because that's who God is. If you're looking for him, he will respond to you in eagerness. The second thing I want to mention this morning is that we're supposed to be actively searching for him as well. And active to me is synonymous with two things that we see here in scripture. Active means commitment and it means community. Active means commitment and it means community. Remember in verse 11, it said, for they received the message with great eagerness and then what? Examine the scriptures. How? Every day to see if what Paul said was true. Here's what's cool about this. We can gloss over it, but let's not do that. They search the scriptures every day. Not every week, not once a month. They didn't just pull up a verse every quarter. They actively search the scriptures every day. What does that talk about? Consistency, commitment. They were looking for truth Every day they put themselves in God's word. And you know what the cool part about this that you don't necessarily see? You have to pull it out of the text here. They did it as a community. How do we know that? Because they didn't have Bibles like we have today. When they wanted to know the word of God, you know where they went? To the synagogues. And you know what they did? They opened up the scrolls and they read from the scrolls and they did it as a community. So imagine what that would look like today when we go to seek truth. That we don't just have open minds, but we actively do this in commitment where we daily continue to follow and pursue God's word, but we don't do it as individuals, we do it as groups. Proverbs says, iron sharpens iron, right? One man sharpens another, iron sharpens iron. What's the whole purpose of doing it as groups? Other people know different things. Other people have different perspectives. And what you see in the New Testament over and over and over again is that the community of faith and believers would come together, study God's word, walk in unity, and they would come to an agreement because they were trusting in the Holy Spirit to give them answers and to give them understanding. And this is where the danger is in our world today. All this cool technology we're talking about, and I mentioned earlier, like the live stream, the danger in that It's not that occasionally someone has an opportunity to watch something online or if they miss a service to go check it out periodically. The danger is removal from the church community where you think all you need to know God's word is a teaching, your Bible, and yourself. And that is not what scripture says in Acts 2.42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to breaking of bread, and prayer. Teaching you can get remotely. Fellowship, listen, I don't care what you say. There's no Zoom or Skype or FaceTime that's going to actually make up for genuine fellowship where you are in other people's lives. You bleed with them, you cry with them, you celebrate with them. That's fellowship and community. Breaking of bread, you can have a meal by yourself, but that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about communities gathering. There's something super spiritual about eating together. It is. I mean, man, we were up at my in-laws yesterday. Man, she made some chicken parm. I mean, this lady's not even five feet tall and she's a powerhouse with, with the, 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 the kitchen and the spaghetti and the, well, we had spaghetti. What was it? Rigatoni, I think it was, the big pastas. Oh, so good. Yeah. It's really spiritual to eat together. And you with me? Like, do you understand like what I'm saying? Like encouraging one another, talking about the beauty of doing that. And it's okay to pray on your own. There's something super powerful about when the church gathers and prays together. We come together on Tuesday nights, whether there's three people here or 50 people here. On Tuesday nights, it's a powerful time for people to gather and to encourage one another. 
I'll never forget years and years ago, and he's still sitting here as a miracle and testimony, John Landis, getting that tiny little dog, a yippy dog that bit him in the finger, at the end of his finger, and that man was on the borderline of death. What was your, 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 kidney, your kidney function? was under 10%, I think, wasn't it? It was failing. I think it was less than 10%, if I remember correctly. And the church prayed, and it wasn't just Bridge Church. It was other churches that prayed. And we gathered around his bed, and we prayed for him. We came back, and we were in this. People were gathering in circles, and they were praying, and they were seeking God to work, to work on John's behalf. And he's here. And he's amazing, right? I mean, still, years and years later. I mean, if you knew him before, I mean, as an electrician, I mean, the guy's got like sandpaper hands, you know? I'm kidding. Like, I'm not kidding. I mean, he's just like tough. I mean, he can do all kinds of stuff. I mean, and watching that healing take place and all that skin falling off and the calluses and all the baby skin underneath, it was a beautiful picture of what God does to our hearts. That when the church gathers and prays, all the callousness, all the difficulties, all the pain, all the suffering, he just peels it all off and there's something beautiful underneath because we gather as a community. This is why this is so important. It's personal. Yes, but it involves others. So it's important for you to know your commitment in growing is never anyone else's responsibility. It has to be yours just like it has to be mine. You cannot grow spiritually because somebody else is putting the time into it. That would be like going to the gym and watching everyone working out and wonder why you're not getting buff. It doesn't work that way. You have to do it yourself. You know, I watch that person all day long and nothing happens to my body. (laughs) Silly, right? Spiritually, it's the exact same thing. You have to put in the effort yourself. You have to do it yourself. But do it in community, church, because that's what the Bereans were doing. And the Bereans were so noble, the scripture says. And they grew further, they grew better, and they grew faster than the others that were around them. And they were the mark today that Christian churches all around the world use to define those that are hungry for God's word with eagerness, commitment, and they walk in a spirit of community. That's why you see churches called Berean Bible Church. Or in our own fellowship, we had a um, we had a Bible program that you could do remotely for years. It was called the Berean Bible Plan which is now called Global University in our fellowship. But Bereans were the foundational words because they knew that these people were passionate about following, seeking, and living God's words. Living God's word. And that's what we see in Acts 2.42. I said they devoted themselves to the word, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. In Acts chapter 6, when the apostles gathered and they sought wisdom from God, in Acts chapter 6, to put the deacons in place, the new servants, what did they say? They said to the Gentiles, choose from what? Amongst yourselves. It was a community effort to seek wisdom. In Acts 15, in the Jerusalem Council, Pastor Rob spoke about this a few weeks ago, they came together specifically because they were going to refine instruction on how these new churches all around the region should live. And they did it as a community seeking the wisdom of God. If you're looking for true wisdom, you cannot do it only by yourself. God uses the community to make us stronger and to show his Wisdom. Now, that doesn't mean God doesn't speak to us individually. Not at all. Of course he does. It's a very personal thing, our faith with Christ. But if we're going to be Bereans and we're going to search for truth, it will always involve other people. That's why community groups are so important at Bridge. And when you hear Pastor Rob talk about it all the time, are you involved in a community group? So when someone says, well, how do I grow spiritually? Or how do I do this? How do I do that? Yes, you can come to church on Sunday mornings. Are you in a community where you're growing and you're studying? Well, what if it's not studying something that I want to study? Study it anyway. Because your relationship with those people are going to build relationship. You're going to grow closer to each other. You're going to grow deeper in the word. That's a beautiful thing. Community matters. 
and it helps us grow closer to God. Now, the only other thing I want to mention today um, about intentionality is maybe how to study. Because one thing that I found over the years is that people sometimes can struggle with understanding even how to study the Bible. What does it even look like to study the Bible? And it's a valid question. It's a valid question on how to study the Bible. So I have a simple example for you that I'm going to show you on the screen. And um, the acronym is just SOAP. And it's nothing I invented. It's been around for years and years and years. And this is a simple method on how you can do basic Bible study. And if you have other methods that you use, inductive methods, or you look at other acronyms, that's fine. Do whatever you want to do. But for those of you that have never had any kind of a basic roadmap, this could help you. The SOAP method is just basically four letters, and it says scripture, observation, application, and prayer. Scripture. What is the verse or passage that I'm studying? Easy question, easy answer. Observation. What's happening in the passage, and what gets my attention? This is all about what's happening is the context. If you do not know the context of something... You can misinterpret what's happening in that passage. So what's going on, who's talking to who, and what jumps out of the page and gets my attention that I need to dig into a little more. The application is, okay, how do I apply this to my life? And then the fourth part is prayer, and it's the question I like, how do I need God's help to apply this truth? Because when God uses the word of God to to touch us, to challenge us, and to change us, usually the things he's asking of us is not something we just do in our own strength. This is something that we need God's spirit to do in us and through us. So what is the verse or the passage that I'm studying? What's happening in the passage and what gets my attention? How can I apply this to my life? And how do I need God's help to apply this truth? If we have intentionality around the study of God's word, commitment personally and commitment to a community with an eagerness, the result is verse 12. As a result, many of them believed, as did also a number of prominent Greek women and many Greek men. See the result? Pursue God. Pursue God. Pursue God. Walk in obedience to him with eagerness. Have an open mind. Then actively pursue him in your individual walk and then as a community and watch what God will do through your efforts. When I started this morning, I said that God always reveals his truth, right? To everyone who eagerly and actively search for it. But here's the real truth of that. Because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So when God's revealing his truth, what he's really revealing to us is himself. And that's the change. Because look, God always reveals himself to everyone who eagerly and actively search for him. It's not about learning facts. It's about learning the heart of God and knowing the heart of God. Does that make sense? So when you're searching for truth, you're not just searching for wisdom, facts, and understanding. You're searching to know God. And the person who desires to know God will never be left empty. He will always meet them right where they are. So we're going to do something a little bit different today in the service. We are not going to close with a worship song um, or anything like that. Uh, That sheet of paper that you have that's sitting there in your seat, um, I'm going to ask you to do something that some of you will be excited about and others of you are going to swallow hard because it's going to make you uncomfortable or nervous. And I don't mean to make you uncomfortable or nervous, 
but I want to challenge you to try to do something a little bit different just for a moment. We're going to take a scripture in the New Testament and we're going to break up into groups of two or three people this morning. If you need to have four because there's someone around you that maybe not, you know, doesn't have a family or a home, that's totally cool. But try to group in two, threes, four tops. And what I want you to do for the next few minutes is I want you to try to practice this together. I'm not going to give you the scripture on the board or on the screens. There's Bibles in the seats there. If you have your phones, you can pull up the scriptures. The passage, and I'm going to put this up here, the passage is John 3, 16 through 18. Some of you know John 3, 16. But we're going to look at John 3, 16 through 18. And then we're going to ask these questions about how we do some Bible study. What's happening in the passage and what gets my attention? How can I apply this to my life and how do I need God's help to apply this truth? If you would take a few minutes today, we're just going to put some music on in the background and you can just group up with people around you. We're going to take a few moments and I'll let you know when we're wrapping up. I would love for the people that are watching this online, if you're with other people this morning, to do the exact same thing. We're going to leave this slide up for you for a few minutes so that you can follow along with the questions and the scripture and you can do the exact same thing where you are. And let's just open in a word of prayer before we start, okay? So Father, I come before you today and I thank you for the opportunity we have to diligently search the scriptures. In eagerness, Lord, I pray that our minds would be open to what your word is showing us and I pray your spirit would speak to us. God, as a community, may we walk together in unity and may you reveal yourself to each one of us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's break up for a few minutes and do this together. So we're gonna uh, wrap this part of our service up this morning, but if you could just think about how, how is your conversation this morning? Different, right? A little bit different than what we are, look, we do on a Sunday morning. Um, how many of you just show of hands saw something in that passage that just spoke to you? Maybe you've seen it before. Maybe you've seen it new. Anybody here say like that, that just really spoke to me. There's something in there that I just want to say. Yeah. Just raise your hand, stick them back up again and down. Yeah, hands up all over the place. So people said, yeah, there's something there that I didn't see or maybe, um, maybe something that someone else said that made you think about it a different way. Have you ever had that happen where you've seen the same thing over and over again and then someone comes in with a different perspective and says, well, yeah, but this is how I see it. Oh, wow. Not that it changes the truth, but it expands what it looks like. And that's so beautiful because God is, um, I mean, he's a king. And if you had, figuratively speaking, diamonds, there are many facets to his personality and who he is. Um, and the word of God is, is rich. And, and the well of his knowledge and the well of his awesomeness is endless. You can continue to dive and you'll never, ever get to the bottom because he always has more for each one of us. Um, I just wanted to take a few moments and say, you know, if this is something that you would really like to grow and develop in, uh, in your skills of being a modern-day Berean, um, there are many different tools that you can use to do this. Um, two, of the one, two of the tools I just wanted to mention for you this morning um, are two that we have available for you this morning, at least in some quantity. Uh, the first is um, a full-out book. It's called Living by the Book. Um, this is in our Thrive Resource Center. We have a number of copies out on the Welcome Center. Um, they're $20 a piece. Uh, we don't make any money on these. We make them available for people. So instead of telling you to go find it, we just have it available for people that would like to consider it. They are $20 a piece. Um, this book was like the Bible study Bible for Pastor Rob when he was younger. Uh, and it is rewritten. Um, uh, revisions have happened. But this is one of his books that he always goes back to and references um, how he learned 
simple Bible study and more detail around ways to study the Bible. It's not going to talk about soap, but it will talk about different ways using five fingers on a hand and the different things you can focus on, which is really great. Uh, if you're looking for more of a abbreviated thing to get you started because a, a book this thick could be a little overwhelming to some of you. Um, gentlemen, if you would like a young, a smaller book, uh, some of you, not stereotyping, but I know enough of you to know that this might be a little better for you. Uh, this is called How to Study the Bible, and uh, it doesn't necessarily mean uh, that this is better or worse. It's more of like a Cliff Notes version, and it talks about different types of Bible studies. Uh, and even when you get to page 57, it actually talks about the Bereans and what it means to study and the different methods of Bible study. Uh, we have, like I said, a number of these that are available out in the Welcome Center. This is only $3. Okay, so if you're interested in either one of those, please feel free to go to the Welcome Center and one of our people will, um, well, they'll give you whatever information that you need. And if we don't have any more, we run, you run out, we can certainly get a picture of it and you can pick it up on any of your favorite bookstores, local or online. And I'm sure that they would have them because that's where we got them. So, um, yeah, I felt like that was an infomercial, but that's not what I'm trying to do here. Um, can I just remind you, God always reveals himself to everyone who eagerly and actively search for him. If you're looking for God, are you eagerly keeping an open mind and not allowing the prejudices of the world or your own beliefs to block the things he's trying to speak to you with? And are you actively pursuing, meaning consistently, and do you involve others in the process? I promise you, if you do those things, like we see in the Bereans, you will see God more frequently. His truths will be more deep in your heart, and you will continue to be transformed because that's why he came. Not to condemn the world, as we see in verse 17 of John 3, but what? To save the world through him. So, amen. I'm going to close in prayer um, at this time. And uh, we have some people um, on our altar ministry, our prayer people, and they're going to come up at this point. Um, And when I pray, uh, when everyone else is leaving, if you're here and you just want someone to pray with you for whatever we talked about or something completely different, we're here to encourage you and to support you. And we just want to continue to walk alongside life uh, because it's not about what man can do. It's about what God can do through men. Uh, So we trust in him, not in ourselves. So if you would bow your heads as we pray. Um, Father, we come before you this morning and we thank you for your love and we thank you for your power. We thank you for your grace. God, I thank you for your word and the promise of your word that when we eagerly and actively search for you, you continue to reveal yourself to us. Uh, God, may we be like Bereans, especially in a time of season right now where the world is trying to tell us everything that matters and what truth really looks like. When in reality, what matters is what your word says and that we don't ask you to conform your truth to our lives We conform our lives to your truth because you are good, you are faithful, and you are worth it. Jesus, thank you for your love and for your sacrifice. And may our lives and our hearts be opened with your word as we diligently search the scriptures. Show yourself faithful. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you all. We pray you have a great week and uh, search the scriptures with excellence. Have a great day.